My mom just whispered that she used to listen to him when she was a little girl. <laughs> Santos promised that he'd come back sometime and just do an all hymn Sunday, so that'd be fun. We'll do that sometime. All right, let's turn in our Bibles now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, who was one of his favorite churches. Most of this book, the first three of the five chapters, are really just about Paul's relationship with that church and what he thought of them and, and reminiscing, kind of getting a bit nostalgic about his initial contact with them. And we saw last week, chapter one was basically about what, what was their church like? And so we looked at that as a template to see really what, a, you know, what an exam, exemplary church looks like. Now in chapter two, Paul continues with the same thought, but he begins to remind them of how he was when he came to Thessalonica. And in a, a subtle sort of way, but an important way, he lets us know after saying, here's what a, an example of a church should look like. In, in chapter two, as he talks about what he was like, he gives us a template for what a pastor ought to be. There were people who were trying to minister. There were people who were serving as pastors in those days, and some of them weren't people worth following. A lot of them were attacking Paul and saying things against him. And so a part of this is kind of a subtle defense of who he was. But even more than that, it's an education to say, here's what you ought to look for in a pastor. Because Paul couldn't be there with them. You know, he was on his way. He had wanted to be with them, but he couldn't be at this point. And so he knew that they were going to be at the mercy of other people who taught. And so he was laying out for them, here's what I was like when I came there in just the few weeks that you knew me as a pastor. But he said, here are the things that I want you to recognize because this is what a real pastor looks like. And this is important for all of us. Um, it's important that you choose well and choose wisely whose teaching you sit under and who you choose to associate yourself with in ministry. You're all called to ministry. You're all called to serve God and to use your gifts. But you, you choose what place you do that. And unfortunately, as you can tell from his explanation here, there are a lot of places that aren't doing it right. And there are people who are professing to represent the Lord and to serve as pastors, but they've got another thing going. They have a different agenda than than what should be an honorable agenda of a pastor. And so as we look through this chapter, you might find that you think I am not this kind of a person. And if so, I'd be the first one to encourage you to try to find somebody who more reflects these values if you think that I don't. Um, I, I, I hope that I do, but I know that it's all relative. And, and uh, But for the rest of your lives, when you choose to affiliate yourself with a pastor, this is a good template for you to go back to when you're selecting another church, when you move, or even in the pastors that you listen to their teaching on the radio and with podcasts and things like that. It, it would be a fair thing to hold their ministry up to First Thessalonians chapter 2 
in deciding whether it's really worth your time and effort and energy to partner in ministry with someone. So it's a, it's a sticky passage for a pastor to teach on because I'm not going to be up here defending myself. I'm not going to be calling attention to myself, which would, which would really completely obliterate the whole pattern here. But we're just going to go through and see what he says. This is how Paul said he was in Thessalonica. And by extension, this is what he thought a pastor ought to be like. So um, let's just go right ahead and dive into it. He said in verse 1, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. It wasn't empty. There was a, there was a point and a purpose to it. it. God blessed our connection. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, you remember I told you last week, Paul had come across from Asia Minor over to the peninsula of Greece, and the first place he came was Philippi, and he was treated really bad there, was driven out of Philippi after starting a church there, came down to Berea, then down to Athens and over to Corinth, where he was presently. But um, in the meantime, between Berea and Athens, he had stopped in Thessalonica for just a few weeks. And so he said, I was treated badly, but I still was doing what I was supposed to do. And so he said, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Even when it was difficult, he said, I was bold. I was shooting straight with you. I didn't hold anything back. He's going to go on and demonstrate some other ways in which his boldness was manifest. But if someone won't really shoot straight with you and tell you the truth just because it may be difficult to hear or difficult to share, you got to you got to be suspicious because it's really the job of a, of a teacher and a pastor to have you see what's wrong with you. It's the only way that things will ever get better for you if you're made to feel somewhat uncomfortable. And, and so Paul says, I didn't hold back even though I was paying a price for that. I was bold, speaking to you the gospel of God in much conflict. If someone isn't sharing the gospel, they're not being bold, and they're not being faithful. The gospel should be something that we hear often. The gospel, that Jesus died and rose from the dead, and that by putting our faith in him, absolutely free by the grace of God, we can enter into eternal life. That gospel is something that everyone who hasn't entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ needs to hear. And furthermore, it's something that all of us who have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ need to hear over and over again because the gospel that saves us is the same gospel by which we live our lives. And if someone isn't sharing the gospel, they're not, not a faithful minister. I've mentioned to you before about the time when I was watched a famous pastor on TV being interviewed by secular media, and, and um, the guy said, you know, I've read your books, I've watched your TV shows, I've seen you, you know, be interviewed. And he said, you hardly ever say anything about Jesus. And he goes, why is that? He goes, well, I want to encourage people and everything. He goes, yeah, but you're a Christian minister. Why don't you talk about Christ very much? And he said, well, we believe all that in Jesus. He died and rose from the dead and everything, but we figure it's been pretty much covered and so we need to move on to telling people how to live good lives and, and have good relationships and things like that. 
Paul would just be disgusted by such a mentality. He would say, hey, it's about the gospel. I am a gospel preacher unashamedly. But he goes on to say, verse 3, for our exhortation did not come from error, the word there means fraud, or uncleanness. The word there is the word catharsis in the Greek with an A in front of it making it negative. So he said we weren't unhealthy or unhealing, um, nor was it in deceit. That word is a word that referred to a magic trick. Now, what he's saying is he's contrasting the way he approached it to the way a lot of people were approaching it. And so you can look at the negative of all these things and see what Paul was and recognize that there were a lot of people in those days who were more this negative image. Some of them were just frauds. They were phonies. They weren't living what it is that they taught. Some of them were anything but cleansing or healing or cathartic. You know, what they had to share didn't make you feel like God wants to fix it. Sometimes if you, if you hear certain people, they, they tear you up and they cause you to feel inferior to the pastor. And you don't walk away feeling like, oh, that was soothing. I, I'm walking away feeling like I can actually do this. I'm, I'm feeling the touch of healing in my life as a result of this ministry. Paul, Paul wanted to leave people with that healing. He didn't want to present the word in such a way that it was against healing, against catharsis. And with the trickery, the idea, literally the word comes from distracting someone. The way a magician would be doing one thing over here, but actually their agenda was over here with something else. And unfortunately, there are people who use the ministry as a way to just trick people to rip them off. Oh, there have been some really gross examples. There was one so-called evangelist who, who had a little piece in his ear, and the people would interview the people in the crowd as they were coming in, find out little facts about them. And then as he was moving about the room, they would tell him the third guy from the left in this next row, the guy in the blue shirt, and he'd come over and call that guy out, and he'd say, you know, there's a woman named Mary in your life. And he's like, oh, yes, that's my, my wife. And she has cancer, doesn't she? Yes, she does. You know. And he would just, they were talking to him the whole time. A magician named James Randi exposed him by coming to the arena with a radio scanner, scanning all the frequencies until he got locked onto the same frequency. And he exposed um, this man, Peter Popoff, as a fraud. Um, there are still a whole bunch of people who follow the guy. His explanation was, well, I was just doing that to help people's faith. It was a way to kind of prime the pump of faith. And there are some people who bought that as a, as a legitimate method. But all of them, all, all phony pastors aren't that blatant. But so often the idea is there are sometimes another agenda that they're working. They make a lot of attention in one area, but it's really all about this other area. Paul was straightforward. He let people know what he was about, who he was. And he, he shared the word of God in a straight way. No tricks, no gimmicks, no manipulation of people. He says, uh, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, 
but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness where we're trying to, you know, cash in for ourselves. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul said, think about it. I didn't try to attract attention to myself. I wasn't kissing up to you. I didn't present to you a message that would warm your heart and soften up your pocketbook. I wasn't a feel-good, warm and fuzzy, touchy-feely sort of a guy. I told you what I felt you needed to hear. And he said, I wasn't about pleasing men, and I wasn't about bringing glory to myself. This is one of the first things that shows up when someone really isn't the person that they ought to be in ministry, because it's so tempting to make it be about the pastor It's so tempting to get publicity for yourself, to love to be up front, to love to be in the media, to have your picture on everything, your name everywhere, to want to be well-known. And so often it starts somewhat innocently. Somebody says to you, you know, boy, they, you know, there's so much bad news in the newspaper. The newspaper needs to know about this wonderful thing that you're doing for the Lord. And so, boom, all of a sudden, there you are. I don't know if you realize it, but the news doesn't go out and just look for something that's happening. Every story that happens in the news is because somebody hyped it to them. Somebody stirred it up and looked for the opportunity. If you wonder how the newspaper knows what various churches are doing, trust me, the churches have someone who's telling them about it. And once in a while, sometimes you have opportunities to cash in on something like that because it looks good and people enjoy that kind of coverage. It's one of the reasons why when we have done some of the ministries that we do, you won't read about our outreach to Mexico with giving shoeboxes to kids. You'll never read about that in the newspaper. And when we go out and give our backpacks to homeless people, um, we deliberately don't tell them what church we're from. We don't have anything in there about it. And this last year when the, um, somebody at the rescue mission where we ministered to the homeless people wanted to talk to a reporter, and so they were asking when we were going to be there so that the reporters could be there, we told them that if we get there and see a news truck, we're just going to ride right by, that we don't want any part of something like that, partly because we don't want to exploit homeless people make ourselves look good at their expense, but partly because if there's a reward, we want it from God. We don't want it from the attention of people. But it's enticing. And I'm not saying that somebody's a complete phony just because they have a press agent or just because they are pushing themselves forward or just because they appear on Larry King or whatever. You know, everybody has to answer to the Lord themselves for how they do what they do. But I would suggest that when I read how Paul was in Thessalonica, he wouldn't have done that stuff. And so it's important. It's something that we need to weigh out and consider because he gives the opposite of that kind of thing, seeking glory for men as being what he was, and he had a reason for that. But he contrasts it, verse 7, we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. That word cherish 
meant literally to cuddle and to warm when a, when a baby's young and they need the comfort of mother and they like to be held close. He said, that's the way we connected to you. We were gentle with you. Yes, we were bold with you. We told you what you needed to hear, but we did it in a way that didn't beat you up. We did it in a way that didn't thrash you. We didn't yell and scream at you and force conviction on you, but we wanted you to know that you're loved, and we wanted to try to communicate that as much as possible in a way that came across as being warm and not as being abrasive and overpowering. He says, so verse 8, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, literally our own suke or soul, because you had become dear to us. He said, I didn't just preach to you. I opened my soul to you. I bared my soul to you, and you did for me. We had a literally psychic connection, in a way, in the best sense of the word, in the biblical sense of the word. Our souls connected. I didn't just give you my spiel. I gave you my life. I opened my life to you and made my life available to you. There wasn't a barrier. I didn't have a a cadre of bodyguards separating me from you or keeping people away from me or a whole bunch of people telling everyone that I'm too busy to deal with you. My life was open to you. You knew who I was. Now, again, he couldn't possibly, in the time that he was in Thessalonica, get to really intimately know everyone, but he opened his life. And anyone who was willing to hang around would be able to get time with him would be able to connect with him. And it probably also refers to the way that he shared. He shared with them in a way that was real and that was from his heart, that wasn't just a a bit that he was doing in order to to play a part. It was a soul connection. And he said, verse 9, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil. word there for labor literally means to cut. And it was an expression that referred to doing something so hard that it would cut at you. He was a hard worker. He wasn't there as a member of the leisure class. When he was in Thessalonica, he was working to support himself while he was working day and night at ministry. And being called to minister is something that involves hard work. Not everyone can take on that that burden of doing it because it costs you plenty to really serve God the way that he calls you to do it, but it's not a life of ease. He said, you saw, I was, I was willing to work alongside you. I was willing to get my hands dirty and, and get my feet in the mud in order to, to minister to you night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. Verse 10, you are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly or fairly And blamelessly, we behaved ourselves among you who believe. In other words, you guys saw me personally, and you knew I really did believe in God. I was teaching you something that was a part of my heart. I had a reverence for God. And and not only that, it was as I shared with you from that heart, I didn't pick and choose. I was fair. I, I treated people equitably. 
I didn't have my own little inner circle. I didn't have my own little, you know, people who were, had something, a way to help me. And so I treated them differently than I treated others. He goes, I was fair to everyone. Everyone was entitled to, to my ministry and blamelessly, not perfectly, but it was not an obvious thing where you're going, you aren't anything like what you preach. You're being phony with us. You're, you know, the, so that if somebody would follow you around, they wouldn't go, that's you? You're, you're the person that said what you said when you were preaching? And so, again, a warts and all sharing of who he was in a way that it wouldn't shock anyone to, to see what he might be doing. Verse 11, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The word there for exhorted, the first word there, is the word that is translated as comforter when it's describing the Holy Spirit. It's the word parakaleo, to be called alongside. Para means to be paired with, and kaleo means to be called. And the idea of exhortation in the sense that it's used here is the idea that, you know, we came alongside you. We said, we'll be with you. We'll hang in here with you. I'm not above you talking down to you. I'm not way out ahead of you going, hey, over this way. I'm not behind you driving you like cattle. But I just came to be with you. And I go, come on, I put my arm around you and pulled you in close and said, we can do this. This is okay. Paul said he was that parakaleo. And then it says, and he comforted. The Greek word there is paramutheomai. And um, para means alongside, paired with, in the same way. Mutheomai is, is the word that means story, muthos. And it's in the verb form. So it's telling stories. And it's in the middle voice in Greek, which means you were doing this among yourself or in sharing with others. So if you didn't write all that down, what the word means is that we shared our stories, that I shared with you experiences that I had had, and I heard your stories. I knew what was going on in your life. As we shared together, we derived comfort from the fact that you felt like you knew me because I shared about myself, and that was comforting to you because I didn't come off like I am some totally different higher level of person than you are. When we shared our stories together, we connected in a way that, that brought real comfort. We felt like we were, we were with each other. And he says, I charged you. And that word there is the word martyreo, which is the word that means just to witness. So you saw what I did, and I shared my testimony the word martyr of dying for your faith comes from this same word. Um, it means just to tell your story. And so he says, we did that together and I was a witness to you. If you watched me, it was something that could influence you like a father does his own children. The same way that a good dad will sit there and share parts of his past and share things that have happened to him and think experiences that he's been through. You know, as you get older, that's about all that's left is stories and how enriching those stories can be from someone who you respect, from someone who has, 
has been out there and done it and has ministered to you, and now they're sharing openly and telling you what God has done. He said, that's the way I was with you. I was like a dad who treated you that way. And again, he said, uh, we behaved ourselves among you in that way. He had already said, I was gentle. I treated you like a mother would treat a child. I treated you like a dad would tell his kids stories. And he says, you know that we did this so that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. It was all about encouraging you to walk worthy of God. What that, what that speaks to is that real ministry helps someone feel, when they feel worthless, it makes you feel, I can do better, I can walk worthy. It's possible for me to do this stuff. So often when life beats us up, we feel like, you know, I'm not worthy. You know, bowing down to Aerosmith. <laughs> but, um, sorry, that's a reference that thankfully most of you won't get. But, um, you know, it, we, we run into people all the time who are feeling unworthy. And ministry is coming alongside someone and going, you can do this. You are worthy because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. It's that great privilege of being able to remind someone that because of what Jesus did for them, they can live on a higher scale, on a higher level than they already were, than they have been, than their habits and patterns and pain and sorrow has led them to live. He said, I, I let you know you could do this. I didn't tell it to you in a way that forced you to become a phony because you knew you could never do it, so you better start faking it. Fake it like I am, but I just lived honestly before you, and I let you know you could do this too. This is something that you can live on a higher plane. You can live in a greater way because God has called you into his kingdom and glory. And now he says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. He said, you guys responded to my teaching and you heard God through me, which is amazing because I'm not God, but you were able to discern and to listen and to hear what God was speaking to you. And he said, that was something that I'm so thankful that God did that that he used me to speak to you. And he says, you guys responded to that. And it, it works in, in you when you believe. And you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. He said, you started looking like a real church. You started looking like churches that were great examples. In this case, he was citing the original church there in Jerusalem, where on that first day, 3,000 people were saved. And as it shows us in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, that the people began sharing with each other. They were growing together. They were sharing their faith. They were fellowshipping house to house. They were all of those things that church is supposed to do. He said, it was cool what God had done there. God began to do in you. You started looking like a real church, even though it was difficult. Because he said, like the churches in Judea, you suffered just like they did. They suffered from the Judeans. 
The church in Jerusalem was being persecuted by the religious Jewish leaders. But in the same way, he says, you guys were being hassled by your own people. But the Judeans killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and they've persecuted us, and they don't please God. They're contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. He said the Jews are harassing Christians in Judea, in the area of southern Israel, and as a result, they don't want me to preach to you because you're Gentiles. They're prejudiced against you. But in the same way, your own people have been giving you a hard time, have been hassling you for being influenced by a Jew like me. But he said, I see you guys still, despite the poor treatment, I see that you are still being the church. You're still growing. I see God working in you, and I'm really thankful for that. And then he says, but we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time, in presence but not in heart, he said, I am with you in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Ever since I left, I, I can't wait to see you. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. I just haven't been able to get free to come and see you again. But what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Ultimately, Paul, this pastor who had only been with them for a short time, he said, I am all about you guys and what's good for you. I care about you. I've poured my life out for you. I want to see you. And when life is over, I want to be able to point at you and say, that's what I'm proud of. That's what I gave my life for. I was so connected to them. I loved them so much that all I cared about is what was good for them. What an amazing pastor's heart that Paul had. What a challenge to all of us who are involved in leadership and ministry to try to live up to those kinds of values. It's not easy. It takes a real supernatural work of the Spirit if we could even just begin to approach this kind of dedication and this kind of care. But we have a right to expect that from those who lead us, to look for those kinds of qualities. There's nothing in here about being perfect. There's a whole lot in here about being honest. And that's the bottom line of all this stuff. And Paul bared his soul to them so that they would understand this is what you're looking for. There are going to be a lot of shysters. There are going to be a lot of con men. There are going to be a lot of publicity seekers who try to take upon themselves the role of being your shepherd. He said, don't buy that. Look to the heart. Look for a consistency. Look for an honesty. Look for a humility. Look for gentleness with, with strength because you deserve nothing less than to have people like that lead you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, first of all, for you being a good shepherd and showing us what that looks like. And then giving us guys like Paul who would set this example and allow us to discover this is what spiritual leadership is like in the real world. God, I pray that for myself, for others of those who are called to ministry here in our church and to those who are pastors throughout the world, 
that we would be constantly challenged by this standard and that we would reject all of that that would pull us off into trickery and publicity-seeking and ego gratification and help us to simply, straightforward, share your word in love and gentleness, challenging people to walk worthy. Lord, thank you for doing that first. And Lord, I pray for everyone here that our discernment would increase, that we wouldn't be attracted by those who would draw attention to themselves, that we wouldn't be drawn to a kind of lifestyle or a mentality or a church whereby it's all about the hype. Help us to keep higher standards for ourselves. We thank you for those you've brought into our lives who have set this example for us. Help us to follow that. In Jesus' name, amen.